things can go terribly wrong if you're not really in tune with your finance function early. And so we have had situations at Seed where you're raising a Series A and then realize that how they're accounting for things is not as standard as we would have thought. And that gets revealed, you know, at the wrong time in a diligence process. And it can really create deal risk. This is Retained Learnings, a podcast where Canadian finance leaders share strategic advice and potential solutions to answer some of the finance department's most important questions. I'm your host, Rob Kazam, the founder and CEO of Float. Thanks for listening, and I hope you learned something from today's episode. Capital fundraising at a hot market can be a challenge even for well-connected founders. But when overall market sentiment starts to shift towards recession, the VC ecosystem can also start to shift. And unless you were a company founder or finance professional during the 2008 financial crisis or the dot-com bubble, operating in a downturn is likely filled with a lot of unknowns. So in this episode of Retained Learnings, we're joined by Matt Golden, the founder and managing partner of Golden Ventures, a venture capital firm that supports early stage founders in their journey. Golden Ventures has invested in companies such as Skip the Dishes, Wattpad, and even our company Float. Matt shares how the early stage investment landscape could possibly shift in a market downturn. He offers some really valuable advice on how companies can work with their current investors and still attract new financing during this uncertain time. Matt's experience and insights going through previous downturns, both as a founder and investor, will hopefully answer some of your questions and give you resolve to face the market challenges that may come in the next year. Matt, thanks for joining us on Retained Learnings. Pleasure. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. So Golden Ventures is a seed stage venture capital fund. So can you describe the size of companies and the initial investments that you're typically making? Just by way of background, Golden Ventures is investing out of its fourth core fund. We also have opportunities funds, but for the most part, we've been at it since 2011. We've always stayed true to our mission, which is really supporting transformative companies at the seed stage. And we're pretty agnostic in terms of pre-seed, seed, seed plus. We invest across North America. Our main investment geographies are Canada first, and then uh, San Francisco, Bay Area, LA, New York, Boston. But we're open to other geographies as well. We have you know investments in Rochester, New York, and other secondary markets as well. A typical investment for us would be seed stage company, and we'd invest anywhere from half a million to two and a half million dollars. We typically would lead, but don't have to. So we're quite flexible there. We often co-invest with other seed funds across North America at the seed stage. And we are sector agnostic. So we have invested in everything from quantum computing to non-permanent tattoos, just to give you a sense of the range of types of investment. Yeah, super helpful. And obviously the the breadth of Golden's investing platform is is certainly unique. What do you look for when you make a seed stage investment? When we look at an investment, because we're often investing, you know, pre-product market fit or even in many cases pre any traction. But in general, we look at it as like a three-legged stool where we look at team and team composition market potential, and then traction slash proof points around that particular business. Over the years, if we were sort of probability weighting or or importance weighting any of those 
three uh, legs of the stool, over time, it's really, really uh, pushed towards team. The ability for a team or founders to be able to be nimble, to iterate on the product, to course correct, to attract talent. It's all about building all of those foundational things towards building an enterprise. And if you don't have the right foundational team to do that, it doesn't really matter if you have a bit of traction or even early signs product market fit. And I want to get more into the, the investment process at Golden. But before we do that, where do you find these teams? You mentioned that Golden invests you know, really across North America. How do you find these founders? How do they pick you or how do you pick them? We actually study our deal sourcing and are, and are always focused on ensuring that we are trying to connect to the highest potential founders. And, and that comes from you know, many years of network, frankly. We have different deal sources. It may come from our existing founder network. It may come from our existing executive network. It may come from service providers we've worked with, like lawyers. It may come from inbound. Certainly, people will seek us out at the seed stage now. That's a function of really working with founders in the way that we would have wanted to be worked with, having been ex-co-founders of companies ourselves. And then for metrics, I mean, obviously, the, the audience here, very financially driven. What are the metrics that matter at the seed stage? And similarly, what are the metrics that don't matter? really depends on what stage of seed. If it's pre-seed, you're likely to have almost zero metrics. You might have market validation through an inclination by customers to want the product, right? To just validate the need in the market versus at seed, you would expect there to be some customers, some proof points around customer traction, but we're not looking for at seed some sort of huge run rate. By seed plus, you're looking maybe a little bit more at how many customers, is there a path to expansion? Are they paying for it? You start looking at cohorts, retention cohorts, and you start looking at sales processes and whether or not they've got an actual pipeline and how they're doing that. I think metrics become significantly more important, you know, obviously at later stages. uh, We, because we invest at Seed, we're consistently working with our founders on preparing them for their Series A fundraises. And so that's where metrics become much more meaningful. And maybe there's a bit more of a weighting towards metrics and team as opposed to team and less on metrics. And you know, now you've, you've made a decision, you've invested in a business, you're in the, the marriage, so to speak. Post-investment, what are some of the ways that you work with the, the finance team? You mentioned planning for a Series A. How does that actually happen? Is that through board meetings? Is that through one-to-one discussions? How, how do you actually work towards that, that successful Series A from the point at which you uh, do the seed? A lot of companies at seed don't yet even have a real finance function. The work there is often around the operating plan that the Series A investor is going to want to see. And so from a finance function, it's really at seed a lot more about what does the operating plan look like? What does your forecast look like? Is it believable? And so we spend time with either the founders or if there is a director of finance, we'll review the operating plan with them and help prepare that so it aligns and is consistent with the narration around the opportunity that's being presented 
to a Series A fund. In later stages, when there is a bigger finance function, they tend to become more engaged in the financing processes. So more at like late Series A, Series B, where you know the business model and finance becomes a more critical piece of the equation. How believable is the plan? Are they accounting for everything appropriately? Do they have the systems and processes in place? And so that becomes more about sort of the data room and integrating the finance function more deeply into the raise process. And often the finance function becomes a critical part of the raise and it's not unusual for a VP finance to be very involved in the raise, both in terms of the process and in speaking to the potential investors. And any suggestions for folks listening that are maybe the first finance hire in an early stage business uh, or an executive that has a background in finance? What are the key pitfalls or mistakes to avoid? And what are the key things to keep in mind that you've seen go right or wrong in the past? Things can go terribly wrong if you're not really in tune with your finance function early. And so I would say at the seed stage, if you are not particularly fluent in finance, let's put it that way, we often will connect those founders who aren't fluent in finance with a outsourced company who can help them build the operating plan and ensure they have at least the right processes and systems in place that's not going to create gaps in the story. We have had situations at Seed where you're raising a Series A and then realize that how they're accounting for things is maybe not as standard as we would have thought, and that gets revealed you know, at the wrong time in a diligence process, and it can really create deal risk. How involved you need finance as a function or to outsource is often dependent on how complicated the business is. So for example, two-sided or three-sided marketplaces are really quite complicated often. And so you really should consult with finance in building your plan and ensuring what you're doing and how you're accounting for things and presenting that in the plan to investors is aligned with what you would expect downstream. Because everyone needs to be speaking a universal language around finance. And if you're accounting for something differently and that gets revealed at the wrong time, and we've had this happen, it creates very meaningful deal risk and can derail a fundraise. We had a company that you know was doing some form of lending and they were lending off balance sheet and then switched but they, their finance process didn't quite catch up so it showed it showed some loans that actually hadn't been made but there was demand for them and so in presenting the data there was just like a, a confusion around that and it was a totally honest error but again when you're at seed stage and you don't have someone really dedicated to the function, that's where you really need to be super careful. Your company's finance function may not be fully built out at the seed stage, but it's still important to your business's short and long-term success, especially in future fundraising rounds. Your seed investors should be able to help you determine how to build out your finance function, whether that's through a third party or growing the internal finance team. And as Matt pointed out, being super careful now can save you from unexpected pitfalls that might put your future financing at risk. 
So Matt, when there's a, a downturn as we're experiencing today and expect to, to be in for the coming months, how does that affect the expectations you have for the companies you've invested in? I think that the whole market takes a bit of a pause and particularly coming out of sort of the mania, the manic market that was associated with the pandemic and coming out the other end now, looking into a potential recessionary market from a fundraising perspective, everyone's sort of like recalibrating. I'm a bit older, so I've been through a couple of cycles, but for founders who entered the market post 2008, they've never experienced really a meaningful downturn. I think it's really interesting. At the seed stage, a lot of the founders who maybe raised capital, but not a lot of capital, just on the basis they felt that their Series A would get preempted right away. The milestones required to raise the next layer of capital at all stages has shifted. So the goalposts have moved to the right. What is it that you need to achieve in order to raise a Series A, a B, a C? Well, whatever it was before, you need to have achieved a lot more in order to raise that next round at the valuations that you would expect at those rounds. So there's a, a combination of you need to have accomplished more and there's a resetting of valuation you know, as a multiple of revenue. It's kind of the double whammy from that perspective. What can companies do to prepare for that? So at the seed stage, let's take, for example, companies who maybe only raised one and a half million thinking that on that money, even though labor is very expensive, but on that money, they didn't want to over dilute themselves to get to the next stage of capital. They're now looking out and saying, okay, well, I only needed to hit two, three customers and demonstrate that I have 20K of monthly recurring revenue to go and get preempted at a Series A. Well, now to hit, get a Series A, maybe you need over 100,000 in MRR and you need eight customers. So what does that mean? It means they're likely undercapitalized to achieve those milestones that have shifted to the right. A number of those companies are taking additional capital and mainly on the same terms, just sort of as an acknowledgement that the market has changed drastically and so that the valuation that they may be raised at last year is in today's market high relative to what they've accomplished. And so they'll take additional capital. And so that's happening at seed and that's happening at A and that's happening at B. And I think it's the smart thing to do. Yeah, it's a really interesting point. Could you talk a bit about what does that actually look like? If a company is facing a down round, what will they go through? And then, you know, any advice if a business is going to go through that, how to mitigate that, how to get through that and come out the other side? And it is possible to manage a down round and, you know, capitalize yourself and just sort of reset the valuation. The cap table needs to be looked at. It can, it can create an, what we call an upside down cap table where founders just don't own and employees don't own as much as they likely should in order to keep everyone incented to continue to build and dedicate their lives. I mean, at the end of the day, if you can't build that incentive into a cap table, then it's upside down. And so, so down rounds can happen. I think investors need to participate in that dilution, right? And so even existing investors who may have various terms in the financing contracts that protect them from that dilution, often what you need to sort of negotiate that out 
to make the case that there needs to still remain balance on the cap table. So it's really about working with your existing investor group to make sure that you can come out the other end with a cap table that keeps the founders and the and the team super incented to continue to spend, you know, the type of time and effort that they spend building something really special and transformational incented so they don't feel like it's a major loss, it's just a market correction. It's really about communication, transparency, and really like how you present that to the team and to the investor base. So it's a really big challenge for both finance to figure out exactly how to construct that round in a way that's fair to all parties. And then it's a really big challenge for leadership and the CEO in particular to communicate that effectively across all the constituents on the cap table. Big challenge, but as you said, it, it can be done. So, and you know, today there's you mentioned the end of sort of growth at all costs, un- balancing growth with unit economics. How can management teams find the line, uh, understanding you know what is that balance? Is it ten percent growth? Is it twenty percent growth? You know, on a monthly basis or wherever else. How would you advise that companies find that that line for you, whether it's a Series A company in your portfolio or seed or someone else? For downstream financing, I think what's happening is in revisiting the metrics that are necessary to raise that next layer of capital, there's more of a focus on the long-term health and of the unit economics of the company, as opposed to just sort of believing that growth will solve all problems. What's happening is investors are wanting to see evidence that, you know, often you'll build a company and lose money and lose money and lose money until you hit. The story is that at at a certain scale, you will then have positive unit economics, right? And so, and and that has worked, you know, for, for many years in venture. And I don't think that concept necessarily goes away, but I think what does uh, go away is not validating the unit economics earlier and not being thoughtful about those unit economics earlier. And in many businesses, I think the sort of high growth, high growth story, I think validating those unit economics earlier is going to be increasingly important because I think there's just going to be a lot more focus on, is this ultimately going to be a healthy business and how quickly can it be a healthy business? The trade-off is If you are focusing on unit economics, it often impacts your growth. If you wanted to grow 3x next year or 4x next year, but now you want to prove unit economics, you're likely not going to be able to grow at that kind of pace. Now the market is starting to value that middle ground, but it's really tricky to find what the trade-off is because still venture capitalists are venture capitalists. Growth does solve a lot of problems and it excites them. And so how do you find that middle ground? You're certainly not going to win in raising capital just by showing that you're profitable, but not growing. And then on the flip side, now I don't think you can just be growing and not demonstrate some level of potential for a profitable, healthy unit economic business. So you have to find the middle ground of, you know, really strong growth and proof points around your unit economics. 
Yeah, great, great advice. And and how how would a management team do that? You've mentioned a few times test that in a golden portfolio company. What would that look like? We're a Series A company thinking about a Series B. What does that testing process look like before you kick off a full fledged fundraising round? What we do is you know we're in consistent communication with all the top funds in North America at the various stages, and so. When we're thinking, uh, or the company's thinking about its next round, we're working hand in hand with them to have conversations with sort of what we consider friendlies, who are basically just potential funders of the company downstream at stage appropriate for what they're going to go and raise, and having those conversations early in building out the operating plan to say, what level of growth would you be looking for in this market? relative to what margin and or would you believe if we hit this level of growth that you'll give us a pass on margin because growth is going to be still be more important than demonstrating this level of unit economics and we'll we'll set up those types of conversations early and we'll do that with three or four friendly so you can kind of calibrate on where you need to be in terms of milestones great so Matt, where can our guests find out more about you and Golden Ventures? The best uh, way to learn about us, actually, we are one of the few funds who publish on our website an FAQ. And we it's a very extensive FAQ. And we do that on, on purpose. We think that funds should be increasingly transparent about who they invest in, what their sweet spot is, how they work with founders what types of deals they've done, even as far as to talk about DEI and you know, the types of companies they've funded and, and, the, and the diversity of founders. And so we really um, report on all of that. And so I, I um, urge you to please check out our FAQ on our website, golden.ventures. And uh, there's a lot of great info there. And to the extent that anything is not there, please feel free to reach out to us. Great. Thanks for joining us on Retained Learnings, Matt. Pleasure. Great to talk to you, Rob. It was really great speaking with Matt to hear the perspective of someone that has experienced the ups and downs of several market cycles. And it was good to learn that a downward trend in the market doesn't necessarily mean that VCs are entering a funding freeze. They're still looking for investment opportunities, but their expectations may have shifted along with the market. That's why it's always a good idea to be in conversation with potential investors long before you need to start a funding round. I like the idea Matt shared about setting up friendly investor conversations so you can stay current on where the goalposts are moving and plan accordingly. When a market starts to trend downward, it can lead to uncertainty around a company's ability to meet both their current and future business objectives. And as Matt pointed out, it's a good idea to reassess how your milestones and cash runway may have changed given current market conditions. Staying capitalized, even if it means raising a down round, is absolutely critical to the long-term viability of your business. And if getting new investors leads to dilution, you'll probably have to negotiate with your current investors to make sure everyone is in agreement with a new cap table. It's during these difficult market circumstances that your company's financial strength is going to be put to the test. But leaning on experienced investors like Matt, who've been through these cycles many times before, can help you and your team continue moving forward to the next funding round. Thanks again, Matt, for joining us in Retained Learnings and sharing your wisdom and expertise. Thank you for listening to this episode of Retained Learnings. We want to reach as many Canadian finance professionals as possible. 
So if you have two minutes to spare, we'd love for you to rate and review the new show. Sharing on social media helps too. And you can tag at Flowcard. I'm Rob Kazam. And until next time, take care.